my people, my people. Get your lighters out. We're all smoking tonight. We're all smoking. That Johnson pack. Light that shit up. Take a puff. And let's get into it. It was Public Enemies Chuck D. Bring the noise. Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor and this is What's Good. Welcome back ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. Yeah, I know I mentioned it last week, right? You know what I mean? This is, I just need another week. Just need another week. You know, it's just, you know, obviously you had all the recognitions, right? And it was coming, it was coming. And like I said, you know, I wish he, I mean, <laughs> this is it's how funny life is, right? Because I was saying last week, I was like, I wish he stays in for as long as possible. Yeah, but not resign and then stay for as long as possible. That that's not what I meant. I meant resign and then immediately fuck off. Like that. That's that's what I meant. So clearly, we got our right wires crossed there. Miscommunication. It's fine. It's fine. But now you're forgiven. Just just leave right now. Just as soon as you hear this, just leave right now, BJ. Just just leave right now. Go ahead. Just pack your shit. Dip. Pack your shit. Pack it up. Dip. Out. Get out. Um. Yeah. So, uh, he's 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 resigned, and you know, leadership shit's going on right now. And I mean, this, this is kind of it's it's this is why this is why I enjoy doing the show partly because I can dip in and out on certain things. You know, what I mean, there's just part of politics I just don't care about. Like, I don't care about a leadership election a leadership election for the fucking Tory party. I'm sorry, I don't give a shit. I could not give two shits. Okay? Could not care less. Why when you when you carve the head or uh, when we when you carve the tail of a uh, I think it's an iguana. Um and I'm sure there's other animals that can regenerate, but I think that's the noble one. You know, when you cut off the tail, it regenerates, right? That's basically what the Tory Party is. It's just one. It's just it's just a it's just a iguana tail. That's all it is. It just just regenerates. It's still it's still an iguana iguana tail. Um, but you know, it's just it's just a, maybe a different skin color. Maybe you know what I mean. So it's just hilarious. It's just hilarious. Like there's not nothing's gonna like change unless they do a general election, which I am confident they probably won't. Um, for the main reason that they'll probably lose and even with that i'm not even confident i don't care about polling man like polling can tell me labor up 300 points uh, i'm still gonna I'm st- i still don't trust the british public i'm sorry i don't trust you lot i don't trust you lot like there's people on vox pops just self-reporting like what the fuck are you doing what the fuck like, oh yo i think boris has been been hard done by i'm like what the, the fuck are you do you what do you read what do you watch like do, what, what I, I, I just don't get it i just don't get it people just piping up and they just aren't informed i'm sorry like uh, 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 an illiterate public is a dangerous public because you vote for dumb shit and here you are here we are 12 years later still doing it and still people Still, people thinking Boris Johnson of all people, of all the things he's done in the past two years, 
still thinking he got hard done by it. It don't make sense. Do the math, please, because I got a D in that. I got a D in maths. I can't help you. Someone, please help me to figure out the math of these people, where they came to get X. How did they find X in that fashion? Help me find X. Anyway, we're going we're gonna to give Boris Johnson a little send-off uh, for the first segment, and then we're going to move the fuck on and probably never, hopefully, never talk about him again um, in, 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 a, in hopefully just uh, political circumstances. If it's just, um, you know, I might mention if he goes to jail, that'd be great. Um, but, you know, that probably won't happen. Um, so, yeah, this might be the last time I uh, hear of Boris Johnson on this show, for fuck's sake. Um, and, uh, you know, but it's still going to be, it's still going to be Tories out, bruv. It's still going to be Tories out. That's still the motivation. That's still the steez. So, you know, nothing's, nothing's really changing. It's just a different, same shit, different toilet. Or no, no, same toilet, different shit. That's basically what it is. Yep. Same toilet, different shit. That's literally how it is. Um, so yeah, we, we scraped one, we scraped one off and, uh, now there's another skid mark on the back, um, at some point. So, um, and that's not racial by the way. All right. Just. Just, just saying. It's just looking ahead. If <laughs> you know what I mean, like if it, if ain't like you know Tuganat or if, you know what I mean, if it's, you know if it's on the on the other, ain't racial. Just saying, but um, you know, it's the same different, same toilet, different shit. That's all it is. Anyway, don't look too deep into that uh, to, <laughs> into that metaphor. Uh, anyway, we have a politics can start for that. Um, we're also going to do some uh, society, uh, sports, and climate. For Matthews, before we begin, uh, Twitter, email. Discord link, all that, all that, all that in the full show notes. Please go give these articles a read for yourself. Give them a read and support the writers to make this show possible. And with that said, let the beat drop and let's get into the show. week where actor James Kahn dies age 82 and also shout to uh, Tony uh, Sirico I think that's how you say his name um, also died 41 that's of, uh, Sopranos fame of course uh, former PM of Japan Shinzo Abe is assassinated uh, Elon Musk withdraws from 44 billion dollar bid to buy Twitter and Twitter responds by suing him uh, Sri Lankan storm presidential residence and burn the prime minister's residence um, and they're currently in a perpetual state of emergency. And lastly, the first images from the James Webb Space Telescope are released. And one of those is my new phone wallpaper because it looks fucking lit. So let's jump right into the aforementioned uh, Boris. And um, this is an opinion piece uh, by the uh, by the ledge, that is Kojo Karam. Uh, this is via Open Democracy. It's called Boris Johnson, the apex predator that France Fanon foresaw um so i maybe like you had uh, to look up uh france fanon and uh fascinating guy really fascinating person uh french uh west indian psychiatrist political philosopher um from martinique um and uh yeah he just uh just did a lot of shit on uh you know post-colonial studies uh, critical theory marxism um so yeah very fascinating person um on the face and uh, yeah, Kojo's gonna teach us some teach us some on this one. So uh, that's what I wanted because you know, there were plenty of there were plenty of pieces I could have picked from, you know. Um, uh, uh, and I think my OG point of what everything is, and the or, the thing I kind of always want people to if they if people listen to me, 
right? If I was the opinion leader in 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 some circles, um, apart from you know my echo chamber that is was good, um, I would say that the one thing to take away from all this is that it's not just Boris Johnson. It is a system that enabled Boris Johnson. So look past Boris Johnson, zoom out of Boris Johnson, and look at the system that made him and enabled him to do what he can do, right? That's the issue right there. That is the root of the issue. Not Boris Johnson. He's out. He's going to be gone. But there's still going to be a systemic issue there. Um, so that's that's all I that's all I want people to come away from with this. Um, but I'm sure... Koja Cram has uh, more bars uh, to to uh, to enlighten us with, um, so let's jump right in. The stability that once characterised the British Parliament has been replaced by a turnover rate that only Chelsea FC managers can rival. <laughs> it has become common in recent years to see Prime Ministers standing forlornly, forlorn, forlornly uh, in front of ten Downing streets for boding black door, expressing deep regret about where it all went wrong, perhaps choking up a little. Or even shedding a few tears, but not this time. This time, it was the resignation of the PM who thought he was like one of those Chelsea managers, the quote-unquote special one. There was little contrition from Boris Johnson. He mourned his suffering at the hands of Westminster's herd instinct, but still proclaimed his faith in the power of the UK's Darwinian system to produce a new leader worthy of being his conqueror. It was a strange tone to take for a moment of personal disgrace, in which he was being metaphorically dragged out down the streets in handcuffs. But then everything about Johnson's premiership has sought to butt convention, and not in a good way. If Westminster is a Darwinian system, then Johnson marks the evolution of a new type of apex predator stalking its gothic halls. For the first time, the UK's ancient and mystical parliamentary system has had to confront the spectacular power of modern celebrity. Other British Prime Ministers have been globally famous, but Johnson is the first to have been an international celebrity before he got into office. Not a politician of ideas and innovation, but of stunts and slogans. Get the exit done. Level up. Build back better. Which uh, the US took as well, literally the exact same time, by the way. And that's how basic Build Back Better was. Uh, Johnson leveraged the familiarity he had gained with the general public by playing a pantomime posh buffoon on our TVs in order to claim that he could ventriloquize, ventriloquize, ventriloquize the true desires of the masses at, the time, at a time of national crisis. He was chosen specifically as a weapon of mass destruction by the exit wing of the Conservative Party to break the final resistance to leaving the EU. He used his fame and personal brand appeal to blow through the tattered technicolor dream coat of conventions, principles and traditions that hold together the British constitution. From prorogation to party gate to Northern Ireland protocol, over the past three years, Johnson has operated as if rules just don't apply to him. See, I remember when they went literally like, what, within weeks he prorogued the government and everyone was saying that's illegal. And I'm just like, okay, well, jail then. (laughs) Easy, job done, wipe hands. But no, still went on for three years. So you can be commit illegal acts as a prime minister uh he was rewarded for this approach when the entirety of the british establishment held its nose to support this well-known charlatan in order to stop the existential threat of jeremy corbyn getting his dirty allotment digging lefty hands of the sacred instruments of the westminster state but in return johnson exposed just how clientist parliamentary politics in the uk 
has really become in the 21st century. In the 1960s, in the wake of the great fall of the European empires, Franz Fanon, not a man often associated with Boris Johnson, identified a new type of national leader who was emerging in the newly independent states, whose, quote, innermost vocation seems to be to keep in the running and to be part of the racket, unquote. Though these figures might mobilize, uh, quote, mobilize the people with slogans of independence, unquote, their, quote, mission has nothing to do with transforming the nation, unquote, but it's about, quote, being the transmission line, unquote, for the interests of global capitalism through the state apparatus. I say quote too much, I know. Uh, these lines written half, I had to just continue with it, you know what I mean? <laughs> it kept going, so I was like, fuck it, stay consistent. Uh, these lines written half a century ago could have been specifically crafted for Johnson. He was a prime minister who came to power shouting about how he would deliver an Independence Day for Britain. And then he presided over a government whose members used a moment of national public health tragedy to hand out COVID contracts to their old school friends, organised a stream of parties in Downing Street while the rest of the country suffered through lockdown, and grant themselves travel exemptions to visit their second properties uh, abroad, the Stanley Johnson clause named after the Prime Minister's own father. In his first speech as Prime Minister, Johnson praised the UK as the home of democracy, later telling the House of Commons that, quote, over the past 300 years, virtually every advance from free speech to democracy has come from this country, unquote. But for all this public celebration of our Darwinian system of governance, his brief, uh, his brief time in office exposed some of his weaknesses. As a decaying formerly imperial go- uh, parliament governed by uh, an in- invisible constitution are trying to hold together a fracturing union, Westminster remains vulnerable to the manipulation of p- politicians brazen enough to use his power to serve their own interests. We now await to see the next former predator that will emerge and you know again that's just a little slither slither of just how you can potentially just think about this um so yeah it it, <laughs> it is that's just one and i delivered another um but another one i'll shout out quickly um shout out to uh, peter oborn uh, journalist, uh, he did a video via Double Down News, and uh, it's just basically ten minutes of him just, just shitting on Boris Johnson, right? Just um, expertly, but also made this important point um, overall uh, that the Tory Party overall um, is, I mean, if it wasn't previously run by you know the millionaires, billionaires, and all that stuff, right? That, that you know, um, and the and the and the higher class. It's always been run by the higher class, we know that. But now it's run by literal, just wealthy people, regardless if they're UK citizens or not, <clears throat> um, you know, regardless of who they are. If they have money and they're willing to invest in the Conservative Party, then they can do what the fuck they want. And that's all it is now. It's a vehicle for the rich and powerful. It's a vehicle. And funny enough, you know, uh, at the moment, again... Don't give a fuck about who's coming to who's coming into leadership because hopefully they'll trigger a general election and fucking lose. But right, whoever win, uh, the people who win, Rishi Sunak, who is leading in most play in most uh, ways of ranking, um, is is could be the richest person to be prime minister. 
I think he's worth about 45 billion or some shit. That's crazy, right? And why is that? Why is a dude who's worth that much? Why does he want to be prime minister? You have to ask yourself that question. Billionaires don't become billionaires out of, you know, out of altruism. They become billionaires out of, well, one, uh, nepotism. But two, just attitude-wise, breaking everybody's neck to get uh, to get above the fence. You know what I mean? It's just it's just like uh, it's like that um uh, it's like that World War World War Z or World War Z whatever it's called um and uh, it's like that uh, that that picture or that uh, that clip of um you know all the zombies uh, you know mountaining off each other. Imagine them just climb. Imagine those kind of zombies, right? Cli- and you know they're rabid and you know they 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 run faster than you and all that shit. Think of that as just the quest to be a billionaire. That's basically what it is. Just imagine them climbing up a, a big ass wall. That's them. That's them. They're all just breaking. It's just the that's the rat race in a nutshell. It's just breaking each other's necks to get a leg up. You don't be. You don't become a prime minister of public interest. You don't do that. So ask yourself why a dude who's worth who's worth billions, whose wife is worth more than that, why he wants to be prime minister. You have to ask yourself that question, um, and you have to ask yourself how a party, uh, where I think it's their chairman, I think, um, uh, I'll need to see that. Uh, just go peep the Pete Roborn, um video as well. Um, but you know, he mentioned a dude who's um, you know, deep in the Tory party. I think he's their chairman or some shit, party chairman or whatever, um, somewhere in that chain. And uh, you know, he basically has a business where he just caters to the rich and powerful. And, you know, takes them to, you know, lush dinners and the biggest parties and meeting with the royal family, all that shit. Just, 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 just chaperoning rich people. And that's who, and, and, you know, if you, if you, if you are like that, I mean, that's, that's, isn't that Jeffrey Epstein-like? You know what I mean? Is that, isn't that Epstein-ish? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, all that boy needs is a freaking island named after him and he's pretty much there. Like, I don't know, man. I don't know, you just have to ask yourselves these questions. Why do these rich people want to be leader of a party um, when they could easily have more influence as rich people? Um, it's just, yeah, you just have to ask yourself that question. But overall, you know, this is about, it's supposed to be about Boris. Um, but fuck Boris, simple, simple as that. Um, we're smoking that Johnson pack. Um, regardless if he if he's out in eight weeks or next week, because um, the the... the I saw this headline today as I record. Uh, it was actually the, uh, the the government has has has, <laughs> has triggered a no confidence vote in itself. Imagine that. Imagine that. A no confidence vote in yourself. I can't wait. I can't wait for the Tories to lose. I just can't wait. So we jump into society, and uh, this article is just one of those things that are, you know directed to a certain uh, to a certain group. Um, but I do, but I like to think that in reading this, it is very easy to see yourself in it, um, even though um, even though the writer um, does explicitly call out a certain excuse me a certain. Um, uh, 
section uh, of of the of the human experience, shall we call it? Um, so, you know, obviously, uh, in teeing this up, uh, the trans pride parade uh, happened last weekend. Um, to little to no coverage um, by you know ma- mainstream media, right? And uh, you know, funny enough, uh, instead of that, uh, the past few days have been more obviously you know obviously mired by the leadership elections, right? And uh, the only time, funny enough, I heard about uh, you know trans people um, in just the media uh, was when uh, interviewers were. You know, doing the rounds, you know, interviewing, you know, Sunak and all those people, right? And uh, they asked about trans rights and some of them kind of, you know, basically just dismissed it um, as nothing or basically just straight up said they're against it, right? Um, probably not, probably didn't say it, you know, full mask off, but, you know, it's easy to, it's easy to gather. So it was just interesting how, you know, those two events basically coincided or one was completely overlapped by the other and obviously the negative one won out um which is fascinating but um it it it, it wanted i wanted to just uh, after that i kind of saw that and i was like uh, that makes me feel queasy um so funny enough i found this article uh it's dropped into july 6th um so you know a few about 12 days ago but um uh but yeah it's, it's an article by brooke obi um of uh, exo nicole and uh, so she called trans people are not the enemy. And um, again, she mentioned cisgender women, but um, I think, you know, in, this applies to cisgender men as well. Um, so, you know, don't, regardless of what she, how she frames it, I feel like, you know, I and other cisgender men should recognize uh, what's going on at least. Um, so let's jump home. Sisters, we need to talk by cis. I mean cisgender women. She spelled it S I S C I S. So you know you can get it. Uh, people who were assigned female at birth and also identify as women. We're living in scary times, battling multiple de- pandemics, and in the wake of the Supreme Court gutting abortion rights, the assault on autonomy over our bodies continues. With lives at stake, many trans and gender non-conforming people have come out to say cis to cis people, quote, hey. Please don't forget about us in the fight for abortion rights, unquote. As many trans men and gender non-conforming people have uteruses, are also able to give birth, and are already facing disproportionate harm when it comes to receiving healthcare, the backlash has been swift. Many famous cis white women like Bette Midler and Pamela Paul in the New York Times have gone so far uh, as to say, uh, that include using inclusive language like birthing people or people with uteruses instead of just saying women when talking about abortion rights is quote unquote erasure and just as violent as politicians and judges making anti-abortion laws. Funny enough, we did an article, uh, an opinion piece uh, by Pamela Paul the other the other week. So, ay ay ay. Unfortunately, uh, black cis black cisgender women have also been attacking trans people in the latest turf, which is trans exclusionary radical feminists. To join the fray uh, is singer Macy Gray, who went out of her way to be a guest on noted racist and misogynoirist Piers, Mor- uh, Piers Morgan to show, uh, show to say, quote, just because you go change your parts doesn't make you a woman sorry. Uh, this is straight up transphobia and not true. Uh, but side note, I went to, when I was, went across the tracks, I went to somebody else instead of Macy Gray and I'm glad I did that. 
Um, just in just in hindsight. So personal dub for me. Uh, trans women are women, and womanhood, quote unquote, is a social construction, which means its rules are made up by what society decides at a point in time. It is not biological. Even in biology, there are more than two sexes. And looking to parts to make up the definition of a woman is dangerous. Last week, a pregnant 10-year-old child, a rape victim, had to flee Ohio to get a legal abortion last week. This child has the parts to give birth, but is in no way a woman at 10 years old. There are women who have no reproductive organs. There are women who are unable or are uninterested in giving birth. There are women who don't want to ever be mothers. There are innumerable ways, sorry for the plane, my window's open, uh, to be a woman. But when you reduce women to their birthing parts, you should not be surprised when your society dictates what you are and aren't allowed to do with those parts. Motherhood is a choice, and for all of our protection, it must be separate from womanhood. Transphobia is violent and harms all black women, that means cis and trans. To understand this, we must understand who constructed our ideas of womanhood and why. The oppressive systems that all black women are living under are interconnected and multifaceted, targeting us for race, gender, sexuality, ability, class, and so much more. This white supremacist, capitalist, ableist, cis hetero patriarchy, to paraphrase Bell Hooks, has constructed our identities and assigned value on our lives based on how white we look and how well we perform our assigned gender, heterosexuality, able-bodiedness, and wealth. As a result, of course, white, straight, cis, able-bodied, wealthy men are at the top of this oppressive system and do everything in their power to oppress us so they can remain there. I've always, um, side note, just me talking, I've always um, thought of, <coughs> uh, thought of um, you know, social hierarchy, and trying to decipher where everybody fits in apart from you know it's easy to it's easy to locate you know if you if somebody's white if somebody's straight if somebody's cis if somebody's able-bodied if somebody's wealthy right and the men right it's so easy to clock those lot it's so easy to clock them and it's so easy to see how they've gotten to where they've gotten you know um it just it just it's just so yeah, it's just easy. It's just easy to see. Um, but, you know, remove a couple of those and it gets a bit harder. It's harder for people to understand. Um, you know, similar to when when you, when you get, when the lines blur uh, after that, uh, for most people, um, I feel the easiest way to see it um, or explain it is the, uh, how people see, uh, you know, disproportion between the, uh, between black people in general and poor white people, uh, working class white people. Um, so you know, if they, if if you have a if you have a you know relatively diverse you know town or whatever area, and there's you know there's poor white people, but there's also um, maybe not as poor. Let's say black people, Asian, right? It's easy to it, it it's easy for people to just get that convoluted, you know what I mean? And they still have white privilege. They're poor, and they may be poorer than the you know black family down the road, but they're still they're still they're, you know you see what I mean? The blurred lines there, the blurred lines there. It's, it's really hard for people to get, and that's that's where 
that's where people just get frustrated and then they just shout shit that, you know, is probably, it's not helpful to the discourse. It's just not. Anyway, just wanted to shout that, shout that out. Just the, the concept of social hierarchy fascinates me. Um, so, yeah. Uh, you, you can't really do it objectively, you know what I mean? You you can't, because you, you don't know the experiences of certain, uh, of certain uh, people that fit into certain boxes. And maybe boxes are the problem, right? Anyway. Just a thought I had. Uh, when wealthy landowning white men wrote in the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal, they were only talking about other wealthy landowning able-bodied white males to the exclusion of everyone else. Similarly, similarly, I hate saying similarly. I hate that word because um, it sounds like simile, but you're not saying that. You're saying similarly, similarly. Ugh, does it, the R and L just don't work to me? Uh, similarly, all the women. Uh, who did not even exist in any of America's founding documents were eight white, able-bodied, and married to men. Uh, under white supremacist patriarchy, these white women could not hold elected positions or vote. Their property ownership was limited without fathers, husbands, or brothers controlling their fate. Their pedest- pedestaling of white women as the ideal of womanhood with a delicateness that needed to be protected and cared for by men has always been oppressive and infertile infantilizing infantilizing i i have to just tread over that word just i I find it so hard to say infantilizing 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 i don't they all sound wrong to me but when uh but white women uh took comfort in having power over people with less wealth and people who weren't white and many of these foot soldiers of the patriarchy um hold onto their white power in the face of their own gender oppression to this day when you understand the creation of womanhood and manhood as white supremacist constru- uh, constructs meant to specifically exclude the black people they enslaved, you understand that womanhood and manhood are identities based on whims, based on the whims of our oppressors. They can be taken away from us whenever they feel like it. Ask Casta Semenya, the two-time Olympian and queer black woman from South Africa, dark-skinned, muscular, married to another woman, and naturally produces testosterone in her body, which white people have decided gives her an unfair advantage to compete in women's sports. We've talked about this before. We talked about it several times on the show um, in the height of her going to, you know, the court of arbitration for sport. Um, and, uh, you know, as a, is a clear, as a, a very clear um, comparison, Michael Phelps. He, he had an advantage. So yeah, easy. Um, where was that? The international governing body of sports uh, decided she had to take medication to chemically alter her biology in order to be quote-unquote female enough to compete as the woman she is or would be banned from competing. Silver medalist Francine Neon Saba from Burundi and bron- uh, bronze medalist Margaret Wambui from Kenya and many more were also banned for the same reason. That's what happens when you win too much as a black woman. They change the rules. Ask Megan the Stallion. After all the hate she got for literally just being a victim of of a shooting allegedly committed by Tory Lanez, she knew that her race, her complexion, and the build of her body all played a role in why she was not allowed to be the dainty woman who deserved protection, care, and human decency. Quote, And I don't know if people don't take it seriously because I seem strong, Megan told Rolling Stone. Uh, I wonder if it's because of the way I look. Is it because I'm not light enough? Is it that I'm not white enough? Am I not the shape, the height? Because I'm not petite, do I not seem like I'm worth being treated like a woman? Black cisgender women like Megan face trans misogynoir too, because the root of the violence against against all black women specifically is to reinforce our devaluation 
<coughs> as people in comparison to white women and white men. Despite the ways individual black women can gain proximity to whiteness through colorism, featurism, through class, through performance of gender, we will never as a group be treated equally to white people under white supremacy. <coughs> Excuse me. The police that murder black people with impunity, regardless of our class and gender performance, will remind us of that. But cis people don't have to play the role of police against trans people for them. We don't have to hold as sacrosanct, sacrosanct as white supremacist, a white supremacist uh, construction of gender and gender expression uh, that was never meant to include black people in the first place. When cis people reject transphobia, we are actively rejecting white supremacy and all of its spawn, classism, ableism, colorism, featurism, uh, capitalism, and cis-hetero patriarchy. We are actively rejecting the idea that we can quantify people's value uh, and grant their, and restrict their rights as a result. We are boldly claiming bodily autonomy and personhood as a human right and becoming one step closer to our own liberation, and we need it urgently. Trans people are under attack. More than 300 anti-trans, anti-trans rights bills have been introduced across the US in 2022 alone. Black trans women are being murdered with impunity in record numbers. Like cis, black cis women, black trans men and gender non-conforming people are at extreme risk due to, due to these abortion bans. Our siblings are in danger. They are not replacing or erasing us, they are us. And when white supremacists start to blur these so-called fixed lines about who these bands apply to, the same way they've done in sports to met so many black women, the same way they've done to a 10-year-old rape victim, the same way they've done to the chronically ill whose life-saving medication may be banned under new abortion rules, we'll all find out the hard way. Cis people, we have the choice to make. The scapegoats in the trans women, trans people, and other gender non-conforming people will not save us. Trans people are not our enemies. They are not the ones who have built these systems that oppresses us. They are our sisters and siblings, and our liberation is tied up together. Our collective struggle is against white supremacist, capitalist, ableist, cis-heteropatriarchy. We can either be the overseers for white supremacy and eventually get crushed under its boots, or we can all be free. Which will you choose? So it's a very powerful um, piece by Brokovi. So shout out to her for, on that front. And, um, you know, I think... Sometime, you know, uh, half, not halfway through that, but, you know, um, some uh, frameworks. Um, I, I can't, I can't be, how should I word this? I don't know everything about um, being trans or anything, you know, the whole spectrum of it. I am not the most educated in it. But I believe that if you read somebody that is educated in it and you and you believe in some way and you have to have a benefit of a doubt right in in some cases right and this is how i think this is how i personally think so you know just take it with a grain of salt you know what i mean you don't have to see it like this this is how i th- see things but when i see you know writers and this is why writing is important this is why scholars are important right in some ways right cultural scholars and all that stuff right um, and obviously the barriers have lowered in, you know, compared to, you know, the Greeks, right? It's, a, you know, the ancient Greeks, uh, you, you only know a few names off that, right? Um, but now there's everybody, everybody's speaking bars, everybody's a mindset coach and all that shit, right? Uh, everybody is knowledgeable in certain things, right? But when you, when you read somebody that is, you know, that has taken the time to be knowledgeable in a certain subject, I feel like you have to give the benefit of the doubt to that um, to that person in some way, 
right? And you have to also account for that in a way of um, in a way of good faith. You have to just have that instinct. I feel like I have a good instinct for when people are being good faith or bad faith, right? Um, and you know, sometimes people can be good faith in some things, but bad faith in others, right? And you just and you have to take that, and you have to uh, you, ha- you have to add that to the equation. Um, if they're bad faith in something uh, that is you know of importance, but they're being good faith in the other. You have to look at the bad faith. You have to look at that and ask yourself why they be in bad faith in that, and and consider that. Um, so while I don't, while I'm not aware of everything that happens in a trans person's life, the simplicity of it is that I can't imagine changing my life in that way. You uproot. They they uproot their literal being. To be what they feel like the journey that, that that's that's what the their personal journeys you know telling them if it's gar if it's you know religious reasons I don't know whatever the reason they're doing that they don't do it just so they can get a gold medal in 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 fucking uh uh, uh women swimming you know what I mean they don't do they don't do it to win a couple of Olympic races. They don't up upend their whole lives just to benefit off this small thing that you know they might dominate in for a couple of years. It's stupid, but you know she didn't mention someone like Serena Williams, which I feel like she's a perfect re- uh, representation in how in in sports specifically um, how black women have been seen. You see Serena Williams, and you know she's. She's fine as hell in some ways, right? In a lot of ways, she's fine as hell. In every way, she's fine as hell to me, right? But the way the media broke broke her down in a lot of ways, physically, and the words they use, you know, it's it's insidious. It's bad faith, and that's how you. That's I feel. I again, I feel like it's easy to clock. Maybe it's not easy to clock for some people, but. My point being, while I'm not um, completely aware of trans lives on the day to day, while I'm completely, um, uh, while I'm not completely aware of the science, I'm not completely aware of the, um, I get, I guess, I don't, know. yeah. There's there's another one I'm looking for, but I can't I can't quite get it. Regardless of all that, regardless of my uh my my lack of knowledge there you go regardless of my lack of knowledge i believe there are people here such as brokobi that have put forward arguments in good faith and simply put i can't imagine doing the same thing to complete to <laughs> we can all imagine changing our lives in some way whether it be wealth whether it be shit man skin bleaching's close skin darkening you know, we 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 know that we know those people. We know those white people that want to be tan like me. We know those uh, we know black people that want to be bleached. Right? We know that. Why do they want to upend their lives like that? Why do they want to change their lives like that? Because they think it'll be for the better. And fine, go for it. You know, I I you know, there's 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 obviously dangers to both. And if that's the risk they want to take, but by all means, go for it. I don't support it, but it is what it is. But you have to support trans because it's it, 
it's not just I want my skin to be different. It's so much more. And you don't take a decision like that lightly. You just don't. You, you simply don't. Speaking of uh, cis-hetero swap, <laughs> let's talk about the NBA. Uh, so I've had this good uh, commentary uh, from uh, Martenzi Johnson. I love that name, Martenzi. Martenzi. I like that. That's a that's a boss. that's a G name. I like that. Martenzi. Powerful. I like it. Uh, it's from Anscape, and it's called uh, Player Empowerment in the NBA is good, but not for everyone. And it's basically talking about. Um, it's basically you know uh, you know Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving at the moment. Obviously, they're trying to get what they want, asking for trades from our Brooklyn, etc., etc. But um, let's let's get let's just jump right. Let's kind of see what 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 Martenzi uh, uh, is, is thinking on this. This isn't a column about the death of the super team. The story has uh, been written every season since the big three: LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, linked up in Miami in 2010. And honestly, the super team has been dead since Los Angeles Lakers most surely did not have fun with Dwight Howard and Steve Nash. Super teams are a necessary evil within the NBA. On one hand, it's not in the league's best interest to have the best players siloed off into country's biggest media markets. <coughs> Excuse me. But on the other hand, chaos is good. Nearly every form of entertainment requires a supervillain. Those of you, lo- those you love to actively root against, those you love to hate, hate in the Miami Heat or Golden State Warriors brought the same joy as rooting for NWO pro wrestling. So when it comes to the current standoff between Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and the Brooklyn Nets, a team constructed by its two stars, the issue isn't that two of the best players in the league, well, Kyrie, debatable, uh, not to mention a third, James Harden, who asked out after just one year, wanted to play together in search of a championship and inevitably failed. Rather, star players teaming up is just a byproduct of the actual issue infecting the NBA, player empowerment. The phrase was created after superstar James went on, to national, went on national television in 2010 to tell the world he was leaving Cleveland for South Beach, a move rarely heard of before. The best player in the league, not feeling beholden to the team that drafted him and manoeuvring behind the scenes to get his preferred team through free agency. Not only that, but James and others began to branch out into building media brands and spoke more openly about issues that impacted them as black Americans, forcing leagues and audiences to listen and take them seriously. But what started as star players pulling strings to optimise their limited time in the league on winning rosters has since morphed into chaotic situations, with the Nets being the latest example, to the detriment of the rest of the league. Player empowerment came to mean that you could refuse to report your team, which pushed you to, uh, which, which you pushed two really good players away from, so you could attend a birthday party in another city in the middle of the pandemic. That's not to say that the uh, that NBA players shouldn't have the ability to choose where they work and ask out of contracts when the teams and division no longer matches their own. Players should have more control over their workplace and not always be at the whim of a general manager, most of whom are white, particularly in a league that is 70% black. The problem is that only a small collection of players wield this sort of power, and the results of that have been mixed at best. The superstars of the league are rightfully... I'm trying to scratch my nose at the same time. And it's really annoying me. So sorry for that. <laughs> I'm just, I was just really trying to 
get that. Uh, it's just right at the right at the base of my nose, like right, right, you know, just right above your lips, like right there. Oh, so nice. Anyway, I'll start again. The superstars of the league are rightfully consumed with their legacies, both in the financial and historical sense. They are focused on winning at all costs, future draft picks, and established team culture. Be damned. That's good for those who command supermax deals, but it can be hell for everyone else. Harden uses leverage to force his way out of both Houston and Brooklyn over the past two years, which is good in theory if he didn't want to work for those franchises anymore. But what about the 11 players who were traded or released to make room for Harden? Those players were not only displaced by the trade, but sent to worse teams, all to accommodate one person. It's like being traded to Jackson 5 for Michael Jackson. And it isn't as... <laughs> that's, that's, a great, that's a great analogy. Uh, and it isn't as if... All this player empowerment has led to player happiness or even team success. Within days of the Lakers trading for Russell Westbrook uh, last year, James was tweeting about keeping that same narrative energy after some people on the internet uh, said the roster was made of aging players. Brackets, it was. Durant constantly argues with Twitter users with more numbers and letters in their handles. Aside from uh, some James-led squads, player-directed rosters have been mostly failures since James Wade and Bosch teamed up in Miami. Uh, there have been a collection of uh, super teams or equivalents over the last decade, to name a few. The Heats, Lakers 2012-13, Cavaliers 2014-17, Nets 2019-22, 76ers 22 to present, LA Clippers 2019 to present, and Lakers again 2019 to present. Save for the teams that, Jay- that had James on the roster, no other assembled super team has won a championship. Let alone made it to the finals. Durant never advanced past the second round during his time in Brooklyn. And that's because uh, basketball players are good at playing basketball, but not necessarily at constructing winning rosters or cultures, no matter how successful they are at my GM mode in NBA 2K. We've all witnessed our favourite movie franchises ruin the second, and the lead actor gets an executive producer credit. And that's no different in the NBA. I've never thought of films like that, actually. That's a good point. Um, I wonder if that's uh, tangible. Um, but yeah, I've never actually thought about it in that fr- uh, that way, that frame, considering films. Uh, the relationships part aside, roster construction is about properly evaluating talent and not just gunning for the most recognisable name, or in the case of James, his old friends. You need an established and respected culture to make super teams work, as it did in Miami. And that's what's been missing with the Nets and Lakers. Granted, the Lakers won a championship in the 2019-20 season, but they're now on their third coach since James signed in 2018. That's not the normal standard of a Los Angeles team. You can be as pro-player, pro-black, or pro-labor as you want, and still be able to admit that things may have gone too far in the player's direction. Far be it from me to defend t- of team owners, uh, but there's room to criticize players like Durant and Irving for coming in, playing general manager, making a mess, and then refusing to help clean it up before slipping out the back door. And that's before you add in the context that Durant and Irving decided to join the Nets without even alerting dot 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 the Nets. They made a decision to come. Their arrival eventually led to the dismissal of head coach Kenny Atkinson and their desire to win now likely played a part in the Nets dismantling their core to chase after Harden. All responsible requests, yeah, they still were content. You can hate all the methods of a team front offices of a team of team front offices and still admit that what uh, what some players are doing is kind of rude. And maybe this is payback for the power that uh, roster decision Ross's decision makers uh, wielded for decades before players started to demand more control. Still, it doesn't ma- uh, make it any less worrying that players are abusing <gasps> excuse me, their power to the detriment of not only themselves but of all their teammates, but all of their teammates who become collateral damage in their power trips. 
Durant seemed to hint at the perception that his moves irk his former team, uh, former teammates. Quote, the ones who were locked in that gym with me know what it is. They know what I'm about. If you haven't been in there with me, ask around. Unquote. He tweeted on July 2nd before, uh, uh, before later deleting it. The player empowerment era has had many benefits, notably in how some players have wrested uh, the levers of control away from front offices that might not have the player's best interest in mind, but the transfer of power has only benefited the richest among the 400-plus players in the league. If Durant and Irving get their way and force their way out of Brooklyn, it will be another example of player empowerment working. But for those next players currently on the roster and those who will be needed to facilitate the trades to get two stars out, they're still waiting for the empowerment to trickle down to them. And that's a gr- that's actually that's actually a good point. Um, you know, it's not it's not lay it's not um you know a union in that sense, right? Um, obviously they have a union, right? They have the NBPA uh, 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 Players Association, and you know they do the collective bargaining every you know now and again with the with the league and you know all that stuff, and they get supermax contracts and everything. But it is very top heavy. And I don't think Mark Kinsey um, has um, be, is is the first person to say this um, that it's very top heavy and the trickle Martenzi. Did I say Martenzi or Markenzi? So Martenzi. I mean, both of them sound sick. Markenzi, Martenzi. I like both. Um, but you know, regardless, it's just it is top heavy, and a lot of it doesn't trickle down. Um, it, it, do you chalk that up to the game? Um, get good. I don't know, like, but what if you're really good and you still don't have that power? Um, maybe some people are too meek to make that power uh, power move, even though they can. Uh, maybe there's more players that uh, just decide not to because you know they're either they're either living with what they have and you know staying ten toes down, you know, uh, Damian Lillard, you know, for all his faults. Um, is still important, and you know, in some ways that's respectable. In some ways, that is stupid. Um, d- depends where you're at. Depends where you're where you're thinking. Um, I can say the same for Bradley Bill, right? I c- it's it's weird how I respect Damien Lillard, but not really Bradley Bill. Um, but you know, I don't. Well, actually, that's a Freudian slip. I don't mind Bradley Bill. I respect the fact that he went for the money, right? Go get your money. But it's the fact. I think it's the fact that. Um, Damien Lillard comes off as more, um, I think, uh, realistic about where he's at or where the team's at. And Bradley Bill's like, yeah, I want to win a championship with this team. I'm just like, all right, cool, bro. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure you do, but y- you're not. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Like, chief, like, it's not going to happen. Um, watch him, watch him win in a couple of years. Fucking hell, that'd be great. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm confident in the fact that it won't happen. But anyway. Aside from all that, um, they could pull the levers of power, but they choose not to. Why? You know? So, uh, maybe they just don't feel like they can, or they don't feel like they should, or they don't want to. You know, everybody has their options. Um, but um, KD and Kyrie are clearly just, especially Kyrie has just been pulling that lever constantly, pulling it, pulling it, pulling it every time he's like in a bat in a in a semi-bad spot, and it's just like, bro, you, sometimes you just have to lie in the bed, but you know, I, that's how I feel about the Nets, you you made that shit heap, lie in it, but, and I feel like, in some ways, as a regular person, 
it's kind of it is what it is and i go by that life mantra a lot it is what it is um sometimes and you know there's there's things you can change in your life but you can't <laughs> there's just some things you can't control um and the fact that these guys are just uh, uh, is bordering on control freak i guess and if you want to do that go be a gm you know what i mean you're a player so uh, i don't know it's it's it comes i uh, i don't want to come off as you know the anti union guy but it's not really a union is it because if it regardless if it regardless if you call it collective bargaining agreement you all get there is a meritocracy here but even with that said Jalen Brunson hasn't earned an all-star yet he's got 100 mil so what is going on here you know what i mean so uh, i don't know there's a lot there's a lot of breakdown here and you know martenzi uh, made a great um, overall point and I feel like this is a great conversation I feel like NBA people should have talking heads should have but um, you know uh, I think they have it in spurts but they don't have the proper knuckle down is player empowerment good for everybody I need that question to be asked much more regularly in NBA circles Definitely saving Martenzi into <laughs> into my list of favourite names. That is fire, Martenzi. I mean, Martenzi, Markenzi. I mean, there's there's, there's opportunities there. Markenzi, Markenzi. You can just call him Mark if you want, but you know, what I mean, that's that's great. Markenzi, Martenzi. That's fire. Shout, shout out to Martenzi. Anyway, um, let's finish off uh, with a uh, uh, climate. And um, yeah. With just a really, just one of those, uh, what is it? Just one of those headlines, and you're just like, huh, how? What? Yeah, what? Excuse me? Um, it's literally called, Why Disasters Are Getting More Severe But Killing Fewer People. Now, I, you just, you, you have to know. You have to know why. So, yeah, this is uh, this is uh, written by Umer uh, Irfan uh, via Vox. And um, let's drop home. A curious trend has emerged in recent years. Many types of natural disasters are causing greater destruction as populations have grown in floodplains, wildfire zones, and hot climates. More people means more property, which is part of why the number of disasters with billion-dollar damage tolls is on the rise in the United States. Obviously, this is U.S.-centric, but hope you know. I think we can. Uh, yeah, hopefully they do spread it out a bit. But anyway, um, and humans are making many of these disasters more severe by changing the climate. Rising average global temperatures and worsening heat waves and torrential rainfalls and lifting sea levels. Uh, quote, widespread pervasive impacts to ecosystems, people, settlements and infrastructure have resulted from observed increases in the frequency and intensity of climate and weather extremes. Unquote. Uh, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change wrote in its most recent report. Yet despite these growing risks around the world, uh, disasters in general are becoming less deadly. According to the World Meteorological Organization, WMO, the number of disasters over the last 50 years have, have incre has increased fivefold, but the number of deaths have fallen by two-thirds. This is a huge accomplishment, perhaps one of the biggest success stories in modern history, yet it's easy to overlook. These immense gains are the result of steady incremental work of forecasters, planners, architects, engineers and policymakers rather than any single innovation. And the main metric is averted losses, 
something that's often hard to appreciate and tricky to value. Nevertheless, uh, some world leaders are paying attention and want to carry these advances further. In particular, the United Nations and the WMO are launching a $1.5 billion program to ensure that everyone on Earth is covered by a disaster early warning system over the next five years. The WMO didn't specify the details of the program, however, and didn't respond to requests for comment. Quote, Early warnings and action saves lives, said UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres, Guterres um, in March. We must boost the power of prediction and everyone and build their capacity to act. As countries like the US stare down, another summer filled with wildfires, floods and heatwaves, and with the world likely to overshoot climate change targets, saving lives from disasters is a paramount priority. The past century shows that steady progress adds up, but we can't take this for granted. Because climate change is driving up disaster risks and it will take a coherent strategy to counter them. Uh, the downtrend in deaths from natural disasters is something to behold. In the early 20th century, annual deaths from disasters sometimes topped a million. By the 1970s, uh, fatalities fell to roughly uh, 100,000 per year. And in the current decade, to half or less of that number. Excuse me. Um, there have been some years that bucked this trend over the last century as particularly severe disasters struck but the overall decline holds. And keep in mind that there were just 2 billion people in the world in 1900, compared to 7.8 today. That's crazy, bro. That's crazy. So, 19, so 1900, so in 122 years, the population has, has gone up four, four times? Two, four, six, eight. That's four. So is that fourfold? Is that what four? Is that what they mean by fold? Like times four? Like time? Well, you know what I mean. I <laughs> does that what is that what it is? Fucking hell, bro! Four times in 122 years. That is extreme population growth. That is absurd. Wow, it's crazy to think about. Anyway, uh, two main factors have saved lives, even among increasingly dangerous disasters and growing populations. Better forecasting, greatest ability to cope with storms, floods, fires, and heat waves when they do occur. Disaster prediction has been dramatic. Imp- has seen dramatic improvements. Okay, there you go. Uh, especially in the era of weather satellites and vastly more powerful computers. For example, the National Hurricane Center can now project the path of a hurricane 72 hours in advance. In 1990, the center could only make such a prediction 24 hours ahead of the storm, and with less accuracy. Now consider that, according to the WMO, having 24 hours of warning ahead of a storm reduces damages by 30%. Two additional days of lead time and a more precise storm path is a massive improvement, and has helped even more people get out of harm's way. Forecasters have also extended their lead time uh, for extreme weather like heat waves and severe rainfall, as well as longer-term phenomena like seasonal rainfall or expected cyclone activity in a given year. This allows officials to issue warnings for disasters and prepare for other problems like famine. Even for disasters that have multiple intersecting factors, namely wildfires, researchers are getting better at anticipating when the next blazes will erupt. In the US, the National Interagency Fire Center uh, publishes seasonal fire outlooks that can help officials allocate firefighting teams and conduct preventative, uh, preventative maintenance. And when fires do ignite, modelers can factor in weather, geography, and vegetation to predict not just the flames, but other associated impacts. Quote, if you had a decent idea, sorry about the plane, a decent idea of what was going to occur in terms of how flammable a particular region is, 
you could use that information to develop forecasts of what you would expect in terms of something like smoke impacts downwind, said Matthew Herto, a biology professor at the University of New Mexico who studies forest fires and climate. On the other hand, hard to predict disasters are still a potent threat. Tornadoes, for instance, form uh, and dissipate rapidly and are difficult to detect with radar satellites. Tornado research still depends on observers on the ground. So tornado warnings haven't improved in the same way as hurricane forecasts. According to the National Weather Service, more than half of tornado warnings are false alarms. As a result, tornadoes remain some of the deadliest weather phenomena in the US. Uh, geological disasters like earthquakes and volcanic eruptions are even more difficult to predict. Even so, scientists have improved their understanding of where such events will occur, and while they have lead times measured, measured in minutes, parts of the world now have earthquake early warning systems. Better earthquake detection and warnings have improved. Uh, have also improved tsunami warning systems. Uh, the issue is that the places in the world with the most robust forecasting and alert programs for disasters are often the wealthiest. Oh, la-di-da. So, seems, like seems like there's a consistent pattern when it comes to, you know, vaccine rollout and, you know, life-saving shit. You know what I mean? There's just anything that saves a life. I, I don't know. Just, it seems to be a pattern there. That I just can't quite put my finger on. Uh, between 1970 and 2019, more than 91% of all weather and climate-related deaths occurred in developing countries. According to WMO, uh, only half of the world's uh, countries have early warning systems in place for multiple hazards and uh, across regions like Africa, Latin America and island, ca- island countries, uh, there are large gaps in weather and climate observation. So building up a, uh, disaster warning systems for everyone in the world and doing so in five years is a monumental task. Quote, it is a mildly ambitious goal, but an important one. Samantha Montano, uh, an assistant professor of emergency management at the Massachusetts and Maritime Academy, said in an email. Despite the epoch- epochal state scale, I think that's what you say, um, and devastation of events like hurricanes and wildfires, it can be surprisingly difficult to grapple with the full extent of their impacts. One can add up the casualties when the ground is shaking, the wind is blowing, and the rain is falling, but how many deaths and injuries in the aftermath of the event should be added to the tally? And when it comes to the natural disasters, it can be difficult to separate which impacts are from forces of nature and which ones stem from human causes, like construction in high-risk areas or a poor disaster response. Quote, Historically, indirect deaths have been either not tracked at all or very poorly tracked, Montano said. Look at the list of deadliest hurricanes in the US, and you'll notice that what uh, that most of them were decades ago, with some more than a century in the past. There are a couple of conspicuous outliers, however, Hurricane Katrina in 2005, Category 5 storm with winds topping 175 miles per hour, officially killed around 1,800 people. Hurricane Maria in 2017, also Cat 5, killed more than 3,000. But the true toll of these disasters was likely much greater. While the storms themselves were exceptionally severe, both hurricanes and long tails of destruction uh, had long tails of destruction, sorry. Uh, Hurricane Katrina and the subsequent collapse of the levees in New Orleans uh, led to uh, flooding and road blockages that lasted more than 40 days. In the wake of Maria, Puerto Rico suffered the largest blackout in US history, leaving residents without powerful vital uh, medical devices, refrigerators, and lighting for months. Warners may have helped some people avoid the acute elements of the storms, but much of the devastation from these disasters came in the aftermath, stemming from failures and prepare to, to repair to prepare and respond. Quote, The theory is with better warnings. You should see a reduction in deaths, and in many cases we do, but, when you, but then you factor in socioeconomics. 
And even with warnings, you may still have the death tolls that are very high, said uh, Craig Fugate, or Fugati, Fugate, I'm going to say Fugate, um, who led the uh, FEMA, Federal Emergency Management Agency, under uh, Obama. Disaster uh, warnings uh, don't eliminate the events themselves, and there are wide disparities in who is equipped to evacuate ahead of disaster and who has the resources to resume their lives in its wake. Uh, for example, the, in the US, heat waves are the deadliest weather phenomenon, but even with warnings, there is little to do about them besides seeking air conditioning. Access to cooling, however, varies greatly with income and location. The risk can be managed, managed or reduced, but not everyone has access to those tools. The worst effects often fall on the poorest. Uh, clearly, warnings aren't, are not enough on their own to reduce fatalities. People also need the means to act on those warnings. I'm going to leave it there um, simply because of time and uh, the, the last part is basically saying we can't take declining disaster deaths for granted. Um, it's literally the subheading so you know, t- obviously, you know, obvious messaging there. Um, but I, th- I feel like the, because this is, you know, an American based um, article, I feel like the easy thing to say here is good for you guys, <laughs> but you know, uh, you know, still, it's still a matter of are you a wealthy country or not? Um, and just have you put in the work, I guess, on, on, on the research front and on the, you know, forecasting and all that stuff in preparation. Um, if you have done that, then great. You'll, you know, it's going to cause less deaths and, you know, and stuff like that. But you have to account for stuff like Hurricane Katrina, which, you know, have left New Orleans in such a devastating state. Even after, fucking how long has it been? Like 15 years now? Over 15 years? It's, you know, New Orleans is still recovering in some way to Katrina, and they still think about that. There's still, still, still trauma, you know, towards that. Um, and that wasn't because of the, of, the, of the disaster itself. It's because of how the U.S. government acted on that front. So, you know, this is obviously an article I think I personally will take with a pinch of salt. Um, I don't know how the U.K. has prepared for certain disasters we don't have many but you know we've had a we have a few storms here and there every year but apart from that not really that much we don't have earthquakes or anything like that that i know of um not in my lifetime but uh you know how much preparation they put into you know heat weather um maybe maybe a lot maybe not as much as we should um you know um we're not the government is actually not uh hitting their climate targets, funny enough, who, who, who the fuck saw that coming, um, but, yeah man, you know, preparation is key, um, for a lot of this, um, and it's probably inevitability that, um, shit will go down, right, um, that's just, yeah, it's just inevitability at that point, that's something we just have to live with, um, but now, all it is is preparation, and for some people, they just don't have the capital, they don't have the P, the monies, the cash, the do, the dosh, the dollar. They don't have all that. They don't have the amount, the money to invest in that kind of preparation, um, and those kind of systems. And uh, those are the, those are going to be the people that suffer the most. Um, but yet they most likely, you know, islands and stuff like that. They they make that they they are the least pollutant, and they they do they cause they cause the least damage to the world. So what does that say? You know what I mean? This is obviously very wealthy, country-centric, this article. But I feel like it's an important thing to say and an important thing to think about um, that, and be aware of that, you know, while 
America is incrementally doing fine, I guess, you know, in, in lowering the amount of deaths possible that could be made out of a disaster in one sitting. Even they fuck up. Even they fuck up um, in, in, in the socioeconomic side of it. So, and if America's fucking up, which, you know, I've called it a... Uh, after I, I've, I've, I've not coined this, but, you know, I've heard it being called, and I take this one um, and use it. It's a third world country with a Gucci belt. They have all the riches in the world, literally. And, you know, and they just don't use it in, in the most in the weirdest ways. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, we'll leave it there. Ladies and gentlemen, from the Fifth M Podcast Network. I'm a child saying it's been what's good. Intro music has been too much by Vanilla. Thanks for showing up. Music, I'm going to say music from now because they were saying music in their uh, stuff. So I'm going to say music and assume that records is gone. Uh, uh, thanks for showing up. Music for the ability to use track. You can find both of their links in the full show notes. And thanks to Nappy High, friend of Five Year Nappy High, for using Charismatic Music. And with, you can find whose link in the full show notes as well. And with that, I hope you all have a good week. I wish I always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy. Ladies and gentlemen.